Seattle in the 90s. A tidal wave of iconic music roars out of this sleepy city and launches a pop culture revolution. Here's a story you haven't heard. Let the Kids Dance is a new podcast about the rise and fall of Seattle's teen dance ordinance, the law that made it illegal for young people to go to concerts. Listen to Let the Kids Dance from KUOW and the NPR Network. This is Sound and Vision from KEXP in Seattle. I'm Emily Fox, and this is our mini-series called Behind the Console. It highlights women and non-binary audio engineers. Throughout the series, I'll be asking about the gender inequities at play in this male-dominated field. And in this episode, we'll hear about how my next two guests have pivoted away from front-of-house sound in their career. Front-of-house sound means you're controlling what the audience hears during a live show. Coming up in 10 minutes, we'll hear how one engineer left music to be a baker for a while. So I got off the road and I, I went back to school. I went to pastry school. But first, we'll hear from Dana Walks about how COVID pushed her away from doing front-of-house sound for touring acts. Dana has been in audio for decades now. She's done live front-of-house sound for a lot of amazing artists and bands, including Eve Tumore. Perfume Genius. MGMT was great. Grizzly Bear was great. She's worked with Cat Power. Uh, St. Vincent, which was super fun because she let me fulfill some Brian Eno fantasies at the soundboard playing effects and instruments (laughs) while doing sound. And there's Deer Hunter. When I got to mix Deer Hunter on the headlining stage at Primavera, we were sandwiched between Brian Wilson and PJ Harvey. And the sun had gone down and we had the full cinematic lighting rig happening. And I think the capacity there is about 70,000 people. And it was just one of my most favorite mixes I've ever done in my life. And the part of the mix that I always love is... Not the start of the show, because that's just completely anxiety-ridden. Uh, I'm as nervous doing sound as I am walking onto stage, but even more so because I have so many more people to please. Um, but it's that third song of the set where you, you latch into that groove, you get your mix finalized, you're just feeling like the music is taking you away. That is something I love which just when you lock in with the band and the audience and you're just surrounded by the energy it's always the best there's always questions on the first song and the second song maybe you're refining some things and then the third song you just get to enjoy <laughs> if everything's going well <laughs> Walks is also a musician herself. Yes, I also perform under the name Voorhees, and I've got a couple albums out, and I've just scored my first feature film, uh, which was really cool. Walks used to be on the road doing live sound for bands 9 to 11 months out of the year. But everything changed when the pandemic hit. 
she had to go back home to New York City. Well, I lost all of my work for the year in one day. The following artists that I were working, I was working with, uh, were from Europe, and there was a band, a European travel band. There was the idea that these tours would be postponed until October. As I returned to New York from the Eve to More tour, you know, New York was in a really, really bad shape. I started doubting every day that any work was coming back. So, essentially, I. You know, I was on unemployment. I was living off my savings because unemployment uh, for freelancers was really a wild chase. Uh, and then once you did get a payout in New York, it was well below your average income. Um, not even a third of my weekly income was covered. And then that got even worse when, when the federal stimulus uh, weekly check stopped. So. Yeah, I basically just hid in my apartment, afraid to go outside, was on hold with the Department of Labor for about seven hours a day. It was, uh, it was a really stressful, lonely, scary time. But I heard that you were able to pivot a little bit um, during, you know, the later half of the pandemic where you started being able to do audio for live streams. Yeah, so, well, prior to that, uh, one saving grace was I did get commissioned to score this feature film, which thankfully finished shooting before the pandemic. So those gears started turning. And then in January this year, I started working for a company called ODA, uh, which is ODA. And uh, we've been doing audio-only live streams, no video, but really focused listening live streams with some incredible legends, Terry Riley, Don Bryan and Ann Peebles, some newer artists like Kia that I just absolutely fell in love with. Uh, it's been fantastic. Uh, really just so grateful to be able to continue to work in the music industry uh, against all odds. When I caught up with Dana for this conversation back in July, she said she was getting two to three job offers a day to go on tour doing live sound for bands. But with the uncertainty of the Delta variant, she kept declining offers. Her live stream gig was paying a salary, and she couldn't take the risk to go on tour doing what she loved, only for the job to be pulled out from under her along with her pay in case a tour had to cancel shows because of the pandemic. Plus, she was scared she might get COVID a second time despite being vaccinated. Her job at the mixing board usually places her smack dab in the middle of a crowd or next to a busy bar. I think that so many... So many people in the industry have pivoted to other industries that have a bit more stability and they won't go back on the road. So there's a lot of new crews uh, running around the country right now. Mm -hmm. So the original reason why I kind of started this series where we're talking to women audio engineers is the numbers are very low for women versus men in this field. And I saw an interview where someone asked you what you like least about your job. And you said, quote, when the lighting guy gets props from a drunk audience member for the show that I just mixed. <laughs> um, <Yes. laughs> can you talk about the gender inequities at play in just mixing live audio? You know, it starts even just by being called a sound guy. Um, yeah which is a, you know, not so much a, a gender equity thing, but a language thing. Um, 
and it just drives me crazy. But I would say the way I present very feminine, I wear makeup, I wear uh, fashion that represents me, uh, but also clothes that I can work in. And it seems like coming into a lot of situations like this, it's how I look first. It's the fact that I'm a woman first and not the fact that I'm an engineer that earned their place on the road. Um, thankfully, now I'm getting older and uh, my gray hair, maybe uh, hmm. the grays that are coming in maybe are helping to diffuse uh, this approach a little bit. But it's just it's it's everywhere from Facebook audio engineering spaces to young people in venues. Uh, and when I say young people, I mean young men <laughs> who are, um, you know, it's their house and they'll let you know it. Mm. Um, but it's also, I've worked uh, house engineering jobs at a venue and having a musician ask me a question. And even though I am the main engineer and I'm mixing that band, uh, somebody else would answer the question before I had a moment to speak. Um it's a lot of microaggressions, but then also uh, sometimes it's just aggressive aggressions. As recently as 2019, as I'm mixing a band, the house engineer tells me I look hot when I'm mixing a band. And I'm thinking, how does that apply to me, my engineering skills? I once had boots with heels on them, uh, not stilettos. I'm talking a, a nice, chunky, stable heel. And uh, an engineer asked me how I can mix in, in those boots. And I said, well, I'm not wearing them on my ears. <laughs> you know, it doesn't, it's, I'm not going to, you know, I've toured for so long and I'm not going to be uncomfortable when I work, but also I've found a, a nice balance between, you know, being myself and being able to work. So it's just, if you can't get past the way I look, then nothing else is going to matter, really. And it's just unfortunately uh, still all too common. Have you seen more women fill the jobs of audio engineer as your career has gone on? Do you feel like there are more of them out there? Absolutely. I think that there's uh, a lot more visibility. There's a lot with you know, the dawn of the internet and everybody having laptops. Remember, I started touring in 1994. We didn't have cell phones. Um, I met one female engineer back then. And then I think probably starting around uh, 2005 or six, you started seeing more and more females. And then you go to Japan and the entire stage crew is female. Uh, it's fantastic. Uh, but yeah, now it's, um, there's so many great uh, spaces to encourage and empower uh, women that want to get into sound. Um, I would say soundgirls.org run by Carrie Case, uh, the Pearl Jam's monitor engineer. She's been doing incredible work, just creating a, a space where there are no bad questions about getting started and it's encouraged. And I've had several Sound Girls members um, shadow me when I was on tour coming through their town, for example. Uh, that's an opportunity I never had, but also I have been taught by uh, exceptional allies when I lived in D.C. and was just getting started. So, yeah, I, I do see it way more than I ever did before. That was my conversation with Dana Walks. And on the next episode of Behind the Council, we'll hear from Carrie of Sound Girls to talk about mentoring the next generation of women audio engineers. After 25 plus years of working, of still hearing, I've never seen a woman do this. 
I don't know any other women engineers. Do you know any other women engineers? She'll also talk about her career working with Red Hot Chili Peppers and Pearl Jam as a single mom of twins. But first, I want to introduce you to another audio engineer who has pivoted careers. It's Alicia Blake. She's currently tour managing for Sylvan Esso. Get up, get down. Get up, get down. Be the general also spent time as a front of house engineer and has worked with Destroyer, Head in the Heart, Town the Get Down, Stay Down, and more. After a brief hiatus, she's back to living the majority of her life on the road. It's a fact of the job that impacts women differently than men in the field. She says she's observed some of her female colleagues hide the fact that they have a family at home when they're trying to get work. A lot of these jobs, touring jobs, tend to be... um... I've gotten a lot of them just, you know, word of mouth. This isn't, you know, a band doesn't post that they're more often than not, I guess a band doesn't post that they're looking for a front of house engineer. It's more likely that, you know, their management or a friend of theirs or somebody they may have met already knows someone that can fill that position. Right. And so I think in, in that same in that same breath, it's always, you know, like, okay, well, like, what is, we're looking for a front of house engineer, like, what is Alicia up to? And as soon as, you know, people start saying, oh, she just had a baby, then like, oh, yeah, well, she's probably not available. So I think there's a lot of assumptions being made that, you know, like, you know, oh, this woman has a family, she's probably not interested in doing that. And unfortunately, you know, I don't think that same thought goes through people's heads when a guy is like, oh, a guy just had a kid, like, for instance, uh, a friend of mine in New York who's a front of house engineer, like he just had a baby and yet he's still getting approached for jobs. Um, yeah, it's just, you know, it's a double standard. And unfortunately, yeah, like I think a lot of the the women that are deciding to have families and continue on the road, I think they have to kind of keep that a bit. They feel like they they need to keep that under wraps in order to continue getting job offers. I'm curious just for you personally, like as you've gone throughout your career, and again, you know, the reason that I'm doing this series is just how few women are doing sound engineering. And I'm just curious for you, I mean, how have you felt the gender differences at play throughout your career? I mean, have there been moments where you've felt microaggressions or straight up aggressions for being a woman in this field? Oh, sure. Yeah. I would say it's more my micro than than you know large you just straight up aggression but I've certainly experienced some of that being called you know sweetheart by stagehands or there there have been a, a couple of moments where house staff has refused to speak to me and and, and instead has decided to spoken to a you know speak to a male band member about what's going on on stage I had a like a union lead, uh, a crew chief, just flat out wouldn't even make eye contact with me when I approached him about unloading our gear. And yeah, and then in turn then went to speak with a male member of my group. It's a lot of kind of mansplaining how things work. An interesting part about your story is um, before the pandemic even happened, you were looking to pivot out of music. I'm curious, tell me about why you wanted to leave music to become a baker. (laughs) I don't know if I necessarily want to say I wanted to leave music. I think I wanted to maybe step away from being on the road. Um, But getting off the road, I think... um, a couple of years ago was important for me because it was just proving to be 
just more and more challenging mentally, I think, and physically, you know, it's long hours and, uh, you know, kind of some forced, forced intimacy with, with a small group of people with somehow you tend to kind of feel isolated in a way. And I, uh, yeah, I have a partner at home that I wanted to, you know, focus on that relationship and, um, you know, maybe staying put for a little while to see how that played out. And baking was always uh, something else that I was interested in. Baking for me is is um, meditative for me. And um, I think being being present for me personally is, is really a challenge. And then when you tack on um, tour management, where you're constantly having to think ahead, constantly, you know, wondering, you know, when the next fire is going to happen that you need to put out, um, you know, you, you add those two things together and you're not really, I was finding it really challenging to be there. Yeah. So baking was attractive to me in, in a number of ways where it's just like, oh, you know, this is the thing that you do and you're just focused on this one thing that's right in front of you. So, um, yeah, so I got off the road and I, I went back to school. I went to pastry school. <laughs> you didn't do baking to like, because you were feeling burnt out. You just wanted something new in your life. I think, I mean, there was definitely a little bit of burnout for sure. Yeah. 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 And and I understand that you explored baking for a while, but you're now going to go back into touring again. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. I think this time, you know, during COVID, granted, I, I, I pivoted earlier than that. I, I went back to school in 2018 and I started working as a baker after that in 2020, right after COVID started. So this is kind of this forced forced hiatus from music for everyone, which made it a little easier on me because I'm not experiencing any kind of FOMO. Mm -hmm. Well, in turn, I also get to explore this other idea I had for my life. But, you know, now that now that things are opening up again, I was contacted by, you know, a friend that that manages uh, Sildenesso, who I, I worked with prior to going back to school. And it just it just kind of seemed like I don't know, I've been home for a couple of years at this point and um, working full time, doing something completely different. Uh, and I really enjoy it. Um, but I'm, you know, I'm a little I'm, I'm very excited about getting out of town again. I haven't been out of the state since COVID started. So <laughs> that's quite a change for me, considering I've been, you know, on the road for the most part for the last 10 years, 11 years. What are you most looking forward to when you work your for, your first show again? I miss crowds, which is strange because I am not I am not into crowds and I, I joke that, you know, considering that this is an industry that is entirely dependent upon the number of people that show up every night. I really dislike being around 95% of them, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but there's something so magical about, you know, uh, being out at front of house and getting ready for a show and, you know, your uh, stage manager radios you to tell you that the band's ready and you know, like, you know, you're standing out in this crowd with everybody, you feel this energy and as soon as the lights go out, people lose their minds and that's just so exciting to be a part of, so... Yeah, that's, I'm excited about that, just to like experience that moment again with everybody. That 
That was my conversation with Alicia Blake recorded back in July. She's currently tour managing for Sylvanesso. This is Sound and Vision. If you like what you've been hearing in this Behind the Console series, check out the two other episodes we've put out so far. We've got two more to go after this one. Also, if you like what you hear, please subscribe, rate, and review the Sound and Vision podcast. And also consider giving a one-time $20 donation to help support this show at kexp.org slash sound. Thanks for listening. Only pay attention to you and me. Forget about the breaking in the heat. Shaking out the nose. Let me feel something. Shaking out the nose. Shaking out the nose. Shaking out the nose. Let me feel something. Shaking out the nose. Shaking out the nose. Shaking out the numb Shaking out the numb Shaking out the numb Shaking out the numb
shaking out the numb 